This is Christopher Cardambicus, and you're listening to Paper Cuts. In today's episode, I am talking with Paige Landsberg. Paige is a Brooklyn-based artist and a curator of books and public programming at Miriam. Miriam is a new gallery and bookshop opening up in Brooklyn. This program was originally recorded on March 11th in Brooklyn in a coffee shop outside of Miriam Gallery. So in addition to some of the environmental noises that were picked up due to the fact that we were talking outside, it is also being recorded right before the pandemic really shut everything down and before we really knew what the shape of things were going to be later on in the month. So there are some things that are mentioned in the conversation, such as the exhibition Happy Hardcore, which was eventually canceled as the gallery was closed down from COVID-19. Um, but that exhibition will actually be installed and exhibited online. The information for it will be listed in the show notes, so you will be able to visit the Miriam Gallery website and actually see that exhibition uh, very shortly. Paige is also the programs curator at the Brooklyn Art Book Fair, which is another book fair that is going to be opening virtually this week if you're going to be visiting the website the same week you're listening to this. All the information for the virtual version of the Brooklyn Art Book Fair will also be in the show notes and information. time seeing the book space and the gallery space but to get things started for our listeners can you tell us a little bit about what Miriam is and where is it (laughs) so Miriam is a new artist-run bookshop and gallery space that's at the intersection of Bedford Avenue and South 2nd Street in Williamsburg in Brooklyn in New York (laughs) and we opened just a few months ago on December 5th um, And the space is really um, attempting to kind of rethink what galleries can provide for artists and how um, gallery spaces can reimagine the context for um, the public and for the artists to experience art. Um, I mean, that's... That sounds like a bit lofty. I don't mean to sound super lofty about it. Like, you know, we're just beginning. But um, our first show experience was sort of an informal um, debut of all of the artist publishers that we'll be working with going forward called Bookset Miriam, which features over 50 um, publishers of different backgrounds. And in the back gallery of the space for the first two months, we hosted four artists in residence um, who worked together collaboratively to make a risograph printed book. And so like the the format of the space is the front is artist books and publications, the back is the gallery. And trying to think about like how that's helping to create a new context for both these sets of works. Um, Can you walk us through some of like your decision-making process to yeah. like kind of establish how the space would flow. 
Definitely. So I will say that the format of the space in terms of like the way the books are laid out now, um, it will change with every exhibition cycle. Um, so we're not necessarily interested in the concept of it being like, oh, well, the bookshop is in one corner of the space and then the gallery is in the other corner of the space, which yeah. is, I think, a pretty conventional way of laying things out where for galleries that have book programs is that they put the books in one area the art in the other area. So we're kind of trying to think um, curatorially about how um, the books become, how the books um, give context to the other artwork and equally how the other artwork in the space can give context to the books. So in, in the exhibition programming and the planning of, for instance, a group show that we have opening next week, um, we're really trying to think architecturally and conceptually and formally about um, how the books act as art objects in conversation with the artworks that are not books, if that makes sense. Um, but the way the space is laid out right now is such that it's like about 80% books in the front gallery and then about 20% um, paintings and sculptures that are kind of just um, like dispersed, littered throughout the space here and there. Um, and my role is kind of acting as the books curator, buyer, and I also am the kind of director of public programming. Um, and I work in partnership with Jacqueline Duner, who's the founder of Miriam and the um, exhibitions director. So that's sort of um, a little extra framework for the space. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so opening up a space here in Brooklyn, like, that doesn't just happen immediately. Like, there must have been a lot of preparation to get this all yeah. set up and to get things really moving. Um, when did the, like, the germs of Miriam really start to develop? Maybe that's the wrong term to be using I at gotcha. this time. I gotcha. Yeah. So it's funny. So when it started with Jacqueline, um, who's a painter, and um, she always wanted to, she had a, she kind of had a vision of starting her own space. Um, I think she was feeling kind of unfulfilled or like there was something missing in her experience working with galleries as an artist. Um, and so she kind of had that inkling inside of her, but wasn't super actively looking for a space. And this space sort of, uh, she kind of found it on accident. Um, and it had been a gallery already before we moved into the space um, called Sideshow Gallery, um, run by also a painter who lived in the neighborhood. Um, and he recently passed and um, the building is still owned by his family. And so um, when the family met Jacqueline, I think there was a connection and they really believed in her uh, mission to live on the space as a kind of inclusive and experimental gallery. Um, and so they were able to reach a really wonderful agreement with her on letting her have the space for a reasonable price. Um, and that happened before I even met Jacqueline, which is funny. Yeah. So that was probably like a full year ago, I think maybe maybe December 2019 or, or around there was when she first saw the space and started thinking about what she could do. Um, and then I... I, I don't know, I should actually verify that date with her, but it was a long time ago. It was maybe a year ago-ish. Yeah. 
anyway, fast forward a little bit. I met Jacqueline um, because I was working at Printed Matter. That's where I worked before I worked at Miriam. Um, and I met her. She was just like someone who came into the bookshop and bought a book from me. And we just like had kind of an interesting but not super long conversation. Yeah. And she just remembered... I don't know. She remembered our conversation and she reached out to me because she knew she wanted a book program or a bookshop in this, as a part of the space, but um, she didn't feel like she was equipped to do it her, on her own, that aspect of it. Um, and so when she connected with me, that was in like uh, probably like July or August of um, 2019, it would have been. Yes. Um, and we very quickly connected and we very quickly realized we were kind of aligned in terms of our values and um, what we wanted to push from a um, kind of experimental curatorial space. Um, and then at first it started as just thinking about my role as kind of helping to get the bookshop off the ground and that she would be in charge of the exhibitions herself. Um, but we really kept pushing back our opening date and pushing it back because we weren't really prepared with the exhibition programming. And then we had this moment where we decided, okay, we have to open before the holidays. We really wanted to open before, oh, it would have been December 2018 that she would have gone to space. December 2019 was like recently. Yeah. We were already opened at that point, sorry. <laughs> My timeline's getting really bad right now. <laughs> but the point is there. Um, and. The exhibition program didn't feel exactly right yet to open, but we really wanted the space to open before the holidays, these past holidays. And the book program and the publishing program, it felt really right. Like we were really on a roll with it. Yeah. We were very inspired by the research we'd been doing together. Um, I was very proactive and had a lot to bring. And so we were sort of like, instead of trying to force an exhibition project that isn't ready into the space to open, why don't we expand our bookshop and actually give it the spatial credibility that an exhibition would have in order to really allow the book space to breathe and contextualize ourselves as a gallery that is really rigorously committed to supporting and making visible the work of artist publishers um, in New York and also internationally um, and that it would be like a little bit of an informal exhibition format that would allow us to have more space for collaboration and unconventional programming such as the residency and bookmaking and um, that it would be a very generative way to just open the space up for the first time. So that was sort of like how it began. It was, it was like a clunky road but um but yeah things came together and your first residents just busted through the roof yeah yeah and who who were they what was the residency program like for this first iteration um the residents artists were named um yusuf hassan who runs black maps publishing jennifer schmidt um myla libin who runs dizzy magazine and sarah crofts um, and each of them, um, each of their practices have a relationship to um, multiples and artist publications, some more directly than others. Um, but we basically gave them each kind of like a fourth of the back gallery space and they could um, exhibit their work on the walls or host programs or conversations um, and just come use the gallery as a workspace 
during open hours, so visitors would be able to come in and talk to the residents and ask them questions and kind of see this in progress practice as a way of just like making, um, for us it was a way of supporting the making pro part of the process for artists as opposed to just supporting the viewing part of an artwork, which is what most galleries support. Yeah. We're trying to like think about the other parts of the process um, that are engaged with artwork, so showing unfinished artwork or showing an artist's desk um, and just allowing people to kind of roam through that um, was important to us. Um, some of the residents spent a lot of time in the space. Some of them spent very little time in the space. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a kind of, it was the first time we were doing it, so there, it was, you know, we were figuring it out, but, um, but then ultimately um, the four residents each contributed to a publication um, and we Resograph printed it and then we had a day long event at the gallery that was sort of like the final day of the residency um, with an open studios and um, people were invited to come and help collate and bind the books at the gallery so that the publication was literally made on site and um, and at the end of the day, right when the book was finished, we just went immediately into the book launch. So it was like <laughs> literally hot off the press um, to kind of bring people into the um, artist book DIY uh, practice and just see literally that, you know, most artist publishers who are making books and editions of like 100, 200, they're literally inviting their friends over oh, and wow. just walking around a table in circles collating a book. <laughs> And it's that simple, but I think a lot of people find it a lot more mysterious. So kind of trying to break that down a little, make it more transparent. So who all came to that to that bookbinding session? Well, the nice thing about like the longevity of it, because we had to bind a hundred books um, in an afternoon, was that um, you know a lot of people who like saw it on our mailer or whatever saw it promoted came, but also a lot of people just popped in because we're on a main street and on a beautiful Sunday. Um, yeah. People could kind of come in and do it for five minutes and then leave if they wanted. Um, so that kind of ability for people to organically flow through the space and um, not have to commit to like being somewhere till like 9.30 p.m. and sitting and listening to a talk or something. It's kind of just a different way of thinking about programming. Yeah, I really love that generation of an active space that demystifies the process and brings the community more fully into a community-based publishing practice like that's a really simple operation that yeah, does so simple. much work definitely and I was like oh my gosh we literally just made a hundred books in like three hours it's so easy <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was in Pittsburgh my first zine uh, every time that we published an issue was done that way and like our oh, neighbors would come over and we had a group of people that would just make it their Wednesday night thing every week. Oh, they just like come over and drink a beer and help us make books. Yeah, it's like I'll buy you a beer if you, or like you buy your friends a, a pizza and you're like, everyone yeah. get around the table. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so the space opened in December. Yeah. It is now March. It is now March. Um, you have all had so many events <laughs> in between those two. <laughs> so what was some of like the, pro the programming around the books uh, outside of that binding party? Um, so we did a series of kind of like, we thought of them at first as exhibition walkthroughs, um, but they were really just conversations between myself and different artist book professionals. Um, 
two publishers and an artist book critic um, to kind of talk about different modes of artist publishing. And those events also were formatted in a way where um, the visitors were came and welcomed to um, just like sit in a huge circle around the book tables and books were passed around and we talked about different forms and the publishers talked about their history with artist books and um, again just sort of more thinking about programming as being conversational and educational and something where people are invited to touch and talk to their neighbors. Um, I think that for myself like I've been working with artist books and particularly doing a lot of artist book programming for several years now. And um, one of the major questions I have um, in general is that I'd really like to see more book programming um, that's rooted in conversation and collaboration as opposed to commerce. Um, I think that 90% of the existing artist book programming right now um, is either like a book launch where you're celebrating one book project that's like ultimately trying to help push book sales but also just fixating on the one artist one publisher one project yeah. or you're going to a fair where you're seeing like all of the publishers who are kind of showcasing their work as vendors um almost in like a mini mall kind of experience and yeah. definitely not hating on those programs because you know, I'm sure that we will participate in doing programs like that too, and I fully understand why people do them, and I think they're great, and they have a lot to give. But I think that both of those types of programs are really fixated on the public coming and purchasing, or at least um, the public coming, and there's like an assumption that the project or the publishers that you're looking at are good, and that you, the project is inherently important and that like there's a reason that you should own it or celebrate this artwork and it's a very passive relationship between the person who comes to the event and the person who throws the event or who's representing their books yeah. um, and I'd like to kind of break that down a little to make it a little bit less about celebrating um, a project and more about asking questions at large about the field and about how projects happen and how do we make stuff and how does some like what was the you know someone who's really big and has made a ton of books like how did they start like did they go to college like where did where did they find this space for this cheap like do they make a living doing this um, and like how can the public how can it become important to the people who are there um, in a way in, in a really deep way that's not um, like and in in a utopic universe, it would be such that um, propagating or fostering those types of conversations would inherently drive people to care and buy books. Yeah, that's like the theory. Yeah. <laughs> this might be like bad sales strategy <laughs> on my part, <laughs> but yeah, I think that it's like I'd like for there to be more free like uh, free conversations and programs that are like rooted in sharing resources and like topics at large as opposed to like buy this book or like yeah. support my work you know what I mean and that again is such a great way to also support the community is that idea of giving um, detailed elements of the history and like production of these objects in a really different way than yeah. just in like a standard artist talk or a book launch Definitely. and seeing some of the events at Miriam from a distance from social media and seeing the circle of chairs around all the books and someone like PJ like handing books around to talk about them, like that 
also dramatically changes what that interaction is. Yeah, and definitely. And having it is so much more computational based uh, seems like exactly the kind of programming that I want to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that something I'm really cognizant of myself is that like everyone in New York is like fucking busy and exhausted, you know, <laughs> myself included, by the yeah. way, like mainly know this because I'm talking about myself. Is that like I'm busy and exhausted. My friends are all busy and exhausted and like especially creatives. And it's really hard to like make it to an event or to a space. And like, you know, it's like people have children and like have rent to pay and like also want to just like be alone in their apartment and like they yeah. should do those things. So if they make the effort and show up to to an event, like I feel like I really want to recognize that and um, make them feel like they're actually part of like an essential character to what's happening and not you know that their time is being recognized and that in the planning of the event we're thinking about that that we're like we care because like people's time is at stake and like yeah. it's they are being generous by just listening you know so that's something I mean that's like kind of a side note but it's something I think like a lot of programming people who are doing programming or a lot of programs I go to they're not like taking that into account it's like I show up and I'm sitting for two hours while someone talks about their project and like there's no you know it's like it's very draining you get out at 9 p.m. and you're like exhausted and brain dead and it yeah. just like makes you want to turn off you know yeah it keeps you less actively engaged with the material that you would ideally be actually like thinking about afterwards and like really critically engaged with yeah and just that act of having all those books in conversation with each other and having someone who can speak to all of them in really different ways is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so you have, you have a history with artist books and publications. You just mm -hmm. mentioned that you used to work at Printed Matter. Yeah. Um, so can you trace your, the arc of your interest in, in artist publications? Like where were you at before Printed Matter? How did you first like fall in love with a book form? Um, so I, my first artist book, so I'm, I'm also a practicing artist yeah. and, um, with a practice rooted in making multiples and very odd books. Um, but I went to art school. I went to school of the Art Institute of Chicago and, um, I didn't study printmaking. I did sculpture for most of the time I was there. Yeah. Um, but I also did, um, something called visual and critical studies, which is kind of like critical writing degree. I did like a dual degree. Um, and I had to write a thesis at the end of my program for the critical studies program. And like all of my classmates were writing these like 90 page Word documents that were like so horrific to look at and like they hated them and they were like, it was just felt like a total like burden to be creating these like really long documents that no one was ever gonna read. And the content of my work, like the, my thesis was up literally about um, kind of like the problem of resources and, informa and, and information within art institutions, like struggling to leave the institution and struggling um, and for artist resources being kind of so insularly shared within people who are already in the know and like how do yeah. we, what are some models for what people are doing to kind of try and pull that, extract that information that lives in those institutions and like pull it out into the universe outside of the industry. Yeah. That was like the content of my thesis. So to myself, I was sort of like, how fucked up would it be if I like wrote about this and then made it a Word document that only ever lived in my college library? <laughs> like that would be literally the worst thing of all time. 
So I couldn't do that, so I had to make a book. That was the first book. <laughs> um, and that was a book I published. I did Resograph and I like printed and bound the whole thing myself at my school, 250 copies. And, um, and that book really like catapulted everything else because it was so inspiring to me that I could make 200 books and 200 people at the same time could be owning my work and yeah. learning about my ideas and carrying it in their backpack and then lending it to their friend. And then like 50 more people could know about it by virtue of just a borrow, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the way, the kind of like portability and like live ability, not a word, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. The potential uh, like versatility of a book is so, um, exciting to me um, that it can really be lived with in a way that like for instance sculpture cannot which is what I was doing at the time where it would be like okay I spent $300 to make one sculpture that took me two months to make and then if I sold it it would have to cost at least like a thousand dollars and would there be someone that has a home that this would live in like would I yeah. get a gallery show those things were pretty unlikely who else has access to that sculpture once exactly. it actually leaves and you actually like cares about my work probably not so that was like a struggle for me in art school was that I felt like people did not talk about that lack of context um, for, for work where there was like unique artworks. Um, if you didn't have a gallery show, where would that work live? That was a question that haunted me. And I didn't really care at that time about working with galleries. I was like, I'm not trying to like sign up for your show. So, or like, you know. So anyway, so this was a way I could just kind of claim space. And um, through that, I, the first kind of programming stuff I did was I helped to get the first Chicago Art Book Fair off the ground, which was being, which was founded by Alex Valentine, who um, was the teacher who taught me how to use the Resograph. So um, there was already a connection there. And then that art book fair was so inspiring I for me. Yeah, it's amazing. It's one of the best ones. So that was sort of like my very first steps into artist books. Um, that's a very long response for a very short period of time in my life. But um, from it there, yes, yeah, so it was impactful. Thank you. Thank you for validating my <laughs> runoffs. Um, so from there, I, um, I was working in Chicago on digital publications at the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago for a little bit. Yeah. And then I ended up, I worked some small jobs like here and there I worked for different presses I worked for inventory press for a little bit and then I came to New York and I got hired at Hauser and Wirth Gallery to run their bookshop and to run public programming for Hauser and Wirth publishers because their publishing house has like a different brand than the gallery sort yeah. of um, and that was a really weird job because I was like very underqualified I felt at the time but it was sort of like um, Hauser and Wirth had this beautiful bookshop and a huge budget to do with this bookshop, but nobody who worked for the company cared about it at all because it's like not the main source of their business. They're like trying to sell million dollar paintings, so they don't really like give a shit about selling like $30 books, right? It's like not what they're really in the business of doing. So they really just wanted someone who would like just take care of it so they didn't have to think about it which was a blessing for me because I was able to kind of just like run wild and bring in all these artist books that otherwise would never have existed in those spaces. That's um, great, that frees you up in such a 
it was definitely a very like odd corner of this universe where I was like, how have I like hit this space that is like a gold mine where I can like support small artists and give them this really amazing recognition through being in this extremely like high name gallery or whatever, you know? Um, And when I worked at Hauser & Wirth, I co-curated an event series called Recto Verso, Art Publishing and Practice. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but um, it was in 2017. And um, the other curator was uh, Kristen Mueller, who is the manager at Art Book of MoMA PS1. So it was a month of events in collaboration, Hauser & Wirth Publishers with Art Book at MoMA PS1. And um, in a month, we did 10 different talks and workshops with 30 different artist publishers. Everyone got paid for participating. And every week focused on a different um, topic within the field of publishing. So there was a week on um, zine publishing and activism, a week on um, nonprofit and gallery publishing, a week on um, artist-run presses. And that was it, that's four weeks. Um, And then I somehow got the gallery to Hauser & Wirth to publish a book um, that was sort of a document of the event series where all of the publishers who participated could submit to the book and also there'd be transcripts of the conversations that happened as a part of the series. So that was like this huge programming series that I um, curated when I was pretty young. And so that was like really the biggest thing that introduced me to all of these publishers. And I was able, for me it was very exciting because I was in the position of being able to like provide a platform, provide like an opportunity or a space for other people to kind of lead the conversation, um, which is a very like exciting place to be because I wasn't really um, trying to be in the spotlight myself or like I didn't have that story to tell, but I could be like, you know, giving that space. Um, So that was really magical. And that I think from there kind of got Printed Matters attention. And then I kind of left Hauser and Wirth unexpectedly to work for Printed Matter about a year and a half after I, I had been working for Hauser & Wirth. Okay. So then I worked for Printed Matter for like another year and a half as the manager of their St. Mark's shop, which is connected to the Swiss Institute. Um, and that's a totally opposite culture from Hauser & Wirth in the sense yeah. that it's like everyone cares so much. <laughs> there's so little money, but there's so much energy, you know? So that was a very inspiring uh, situation in a totally different way. And meanwhile, I'm still making my own books and doing side projects. Like I um, curated programming for the Brooklyn Art Book Fair last year and um, just like doing a lot of kind of side projects like that. Um, And so, yeah, so then I worked at Printed Matter for a bit. And then I chose to leave Printed Matter. for various reasons, but now I'm, uh, I sort of started working with Jacqueline not knowing what this Miriam thing was gonna become or if it was gonna be like, I just helped him set up the bookshop and then I left or like, I didn't really know. We still are like making it up every day, but um, it wasn't clear at that time if it was gonna become a really big part of my life or not. Um, and then I left Printed Matter and it, I, as I left Printed Matter, it kind of, coincidentally became more and more right working with Jacqueline um, who's inspired me a lot so that's kind of like my the gist of it I think it's also pretty amazing that things lined up so that this new situation that you're in can be uh, built as you move and then become 
Definitely. And also I just want to like acknowledge and appreciate that um, like it's it's a really difficult project like what we're doing at Miriam and it's like not happening overnight. We're like working our asses off but um, like I, I don't work full time at Miriam because like there's not a budget for I couldn't like be paid full time and right. and it's like I have a side hustle that I love too so um, you know we're still like kind of figuring out the pieces and I'm very like committed and um, you know I definitely feel like uh, Jacqueline and I are an incredibly solid team and it's like we're not you know it's not like I'm like going anywhere <laughs> but I just want to appreciate that it's like a high budget project that is that is difficult financially for uh, for me, Jacqueline and I both yeah. um, and I think the hope is that like I would be able to be there full time at some point um, but I also work at a jewelry studio and I also love that work so I think that's worth mentioning because it's a, uh, you know, it's a utopic uh, project that we're doing at Miriam. Yeah. So. <laughs> it takes so much resources. Yeah. So it's definitely the vibe is like is like I'm at my day job and then Jack and I are working to like 1 a.m. like three to four <laughs> nights a week kind of situation. Yeah. Which is it's just good because it only works because we like really enjoy it. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. But. I mean, it's it's great to see uh, you two coming together to make this happen, even though it is quite difficult. Um, so you're invested in the book form in in many ways across many years, and you're also a book artist yourself. You are making work. Um, where does your practice making books exist alongside all this other thing, all the other things you're working on? Um. Where does wait? The question is, where does my work making books exist, like related in relationship to all this other stuff I'm yeah, doing? Yeah, like how are you able to make space for yourself? Uh, um, the short answer is, I'm like not able to make space for myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's definitely been difficult, um, and especially I think because um, when I chose to leave Printed Matter, a part of that was really wanting more time to um, pursue personal projects and create work and um, I don't know kind of like learn more about myself as an artist um, and then the Miriam thing happened and it was just this super magical collaboration and um, something I couldn't say no to and yeah. I think that in many ways like what I do at Miriam is an essential part of my practice and like my DNA of just yeah. um, I think of myself a little bit more as a curator than an artist just in the way I approach art um, because um, I think in general the book form is a curatorial space um, in the sense that it's many pages um, to choreograph information within as opposed to being like a single canvas um, where you're making a picture. Um, I think that like as an artist I'm really interested in um, taking existing uh, things that I find in the world, like primary documents and um, like things that I see on the sidewalk and take a picture of that are just existing in their natural state um, and putting those things next to one another and making them visible to a public. So I, in other words, I'm not like um, manufacturing an image that didn't exist before I was there. I'm not like making a painting of, yeah. of, of 
something abstract. I'm taking literal things that already exist um, and curating them together so that those things can have a conversation. And I think there's a relationship between that type of approach to art making and kind of curating programming and curating books in space together um, yeah. that kind of like the book space over time even just like when you walk in um, the group of books is really specific together that I've selected at Miriam um, and together those books tell a cultural story that is quite open and can be investigated in different ways depending on how people like walk through the space um, but it says something about um, both who we are as a space and also about like how we view this moment in art history and time. So I think that there's a relationship there and that I'm just super passionate about programming and like having, it's super important to me to just like have face-to-face -face conversations with people. Yeah. So that's like a big, and I think books inherently are social objects, like they beg questions and interaction and whatever. Um, but that being said, um, I definitely do wish I had more time to just be in my studio. Um, but I think there's a really close relationship between those modes of working. Um, but I did have uh, an exhibition recently at the Gallery Hestablado in Chelsea of my work. And right now I'm doing more like additioned textile prints. Oh, wow. So I'm moving a little bit away from the book. Um, probably not permanently, but still thinking about um, making work that has the criteria of like only of like it has to be able to be touched, held, and put in someone's backpack. That's yeah. like how I make work because it has to be something that I could live with. You know, it couldn't be too fragile or big or sticky or expensive for someone like myself to live with, and therefore I wouldn't make it that way for anyone else. You yeah. know. I fully support the sort of... Uh, That's my criteria, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's really fascinating to see uh, how you're talking about curating objects within the book form, within like printed material, being also applied to the gallery space itself and the programming that you're working on. I think that all like makes sense within one continuum. Yeah. Um, so what are, you, like, what are you working on now at Miriam Gallery? Like, What's coming up next oh, now that... excellent question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually very um, excited and kind of nervous about it, but our next exhibition, which opens on March 19th, is the title of the exhibition is Happy Hardcore, and it's a group show with seven artists um, that kind of deal with um, the idea of things, the cultural moment of things being sugary, plasticky, cute, but then also very psychologically dark. And it has a close tie to femininity. It's an all-female show. Um, and we're going to have a variety of works, sculptures, painting, video. Um, and when we were thinking about this show, um, I really wanted to think about how we could like I was saying earlier, keep the books incorporated architecturally and conceptually and not just kind of shove the book space in the corner from the exhibition. Yeah. Um, and also think more broadly about what it, what an artist book is and like um, what could be looked at as a work of art and also a book. Mm -hmm. um, 
So the range of artist books that we're getting for this upcoming exhibition is really broad. So we'll have some books that are very made of very tactile, odd, bulky materials, like almost more like sculptures. And then we'll have kind of more traditional zines. Um, but also we're bringing in some books that are not necessarily made by self-declared artists, but are books that uh, that have a relationship with the happy hardcore origin story and culture um, and that reference different um, objects that the artists in the show are playing with. So for instance, we'll have like the 1920s prints of um, the Grimm, original Grimm fairy tales and we'll have some this really odd uh, handbook on uh, how to identify ceramic children's dolls from the 1800s. So some really odd books that if you saw it in the universe, you might not immediately uh, materialize it as, oh, this is an artist book. But in context with the works in the show, um, the books kind of enlighten the concepts behind the work in a kind of queer way. Yeah in a way that's queer. And I think that having those titles uh, kind of woven in with what we more commonly understand as artist books and also for them to be really immersed in the exhibition space like with the artworks uh, rather than being like, here's the bookshelf over here, um, will kind of push and challenge the viewers to, to, ha to make more connections about what's going on um, to find footnotes in, in the work um, and to also see the work in the show as footnotes to what's in the book so that there's this like dynamic kind of tennis ball rally between what's happening. Yeah. Um, because I think there are a lot of books like in the universe that I encounter like day to day that are not made by artists, but I see them and I'm like, that's like amazing and beautiful yeah. and weird. Like for myself personally, I'm very inspired by Uline catalogs. The imagery in them is like yeah. crazy and the way the units are listed. It's like just, it's a super specific visual experience. Um, so I'm interested in thinking about how the relationship even with um, kind of generic publications and the history of publications um, in relationship to artist made books and also art, art objects that are not books. I'm, I really want to come back to, to see you the show. You have to come open. back. Yeah, I totally will. <laughs> <laughs> and how long is that show open again? Oh, it'll be six how weeks. I don't okay. know the closing date off the top of my head, but it'll be a six-week-long show okay, starting so March 19th. So I think like end of April-ish will be when it closes. I will, I will try my best. MiriamGallery.com. You can look up uh, the official dates for everything since I'm a really horrible source. <laughs> And Miriam also has a social media. How do people follow um, on the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr? Oh my gosh. Okay, so we don't have all of those things, but on Instagram, we are miriam.gallery. And on the interwebs, we are miriamgallery.com. That's it. Um, I can include all the links. Yeah. And um, yeah. That's it. And you can follow this line at hello at Miriam Gallery.
again, thank you so much for taking the time.